when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, President Donald Trump had another one of those weeks where Donald Trump is president. By which I mean total omnidirectional omni-shambles. Building off the controversy of last week's firing of James Comey, Trump revealed highly classified intelligence from a source in Syria to two high-ranking Russian officials, touching off yet another self-immolation. He's ended this week with more trouble from Comey, more indefensible deceptions, fewer allies willing to go to bat for him, and a newly appointed investigator nipping at his heels. We will dive once again into the Trump black hole to try to rescue some of the light. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, fans of fixing the criminal justice system scored a major victory this week. Civil rights attorney and progressive-minded reformer Larry Krasner won the Democratic primary election for Philadelphia's district attorney. It's a major shift for Philly, and it's also part of what seems to be a burgeoning trend of voters opting for reform champions at their local ballot boxes. Finally, the Trump White House is populated by people who simultaneously hate their jobs and are yet super terrified of being fired. How does that work? Well, in what can only be called a radical act of empathy, we're going to try to imagine what life in this oddball cult of a White House is like. I'm Jason Lincolns with HuffPost reporters Kim Belware, Arthur Delaney, S.V. Date, and Marina Fang. Here's what happened first. Well, hello, everybody. Guess what? The So That, so that Happened podcast has returned. And it's returned with another week of incidents and accidents on this swiftly tilting planet of ours. My name is Jason Lincolns. I'm the editor of Eat the Press at the Huffington Post. It's been another crazy week. I'm joined, first of all, we have uh, Arthur Delaney Hi. here sitting with us. I want to just say uh, Zach Carter, uh, who is usually here co-hosting, uh, he is going on book leave. He'll be back from time to time. He's writing a book. Uh, I believe it's called uh, Welp, I've Gone Full Hayek, and it's being published by AEI's Ain't that some shit imprint? Uh, it's surprising given Zach's um, proclivities that he's gone in this direction. But we wish him the best. Um, he will from time to time be on. But joining us right off the top, we're really glad uh, SV Date is here. Hey. Hey. So last week um, we were talking about how the news cycle in the Trump era feels like we're all in the twilight zone. Days seem to elongate. Time seems to lose all meaning. This White House does not know how to not make news. And this has been a perfect week of that. Well, let's be fair. They didn't necessarily make some of this news. I mean, it was those awful people doing their witch hunt that did some of it, right? So <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. They're just reacting sometimes, you know? They Can't are. blame them for that. They are. I mean, so – uh, last week, we spent the whole time on this podcast talking about James Comey, the fire of James Comey. It seemed to be a flashpoint moment. You'd think that a, a, a president would marinate maybe over the weekend, understand that you know he's entered some dicey territory, and do some things that maybe don't further the diciness of this. So he decides he's going to have a meeting with – two Russian subalterns in the Oval yeah. Office. Right, yeah. Well, okay, so there's a backstory to that. I mean, that was not planned immediately the day of the firing, for example, or, sure. or right that evening. That would, had already been in the works, maybe not for the best reasons. This was something that uh, Vladimir Putin had been pushing for a long time, to have an Oval Office visit, and the last president said, eh, maybe not. So the fact that it happened this relatively quickly is um, – perhaps instructive. But nonetheless, you're right. It happened the very next day after he fired the FBI director and said, 
Yeah, this is kind of because of, you know, that investigation that he's doing in right. Russia. Yes. After his staff had preliminarily built a defense against the charges that he did something wrong by firing Comey, uh, Trump had blown all of that to smithereens. Correct. Yeah. Right, yeah. It actually, turns out, had nothing to do with how the, the uh, FBI director, James Comey, had treated Hillary Clinton because that was the purported reason, right? They were, they were mean to Hillary, so by God, he had to go. <laughs> uh, and at that meeting... Which, which we learned this week was uh, happened as a result of a, a personal request by Vladimir Putin. At that meeting, Donald Trump dimes out um, an intelligence asset in 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 Syria. Yeah, there that actually happened, right? And and as it turns out, um, he was just bragging. Right, he was saying, "Hey, I I get the best intel. You should see the kind of intel I got. You know, and that's how we know about this plot that they're gonna that they're trying to use uh, laptop computers to bring down a plane and buy buy. You know, then he went on and explained that he apparently got the information that specified what city they were doing this in. And <clears throat> the Russians, by the way, are not necessarily allied with the country that." Provided the information, which turns out to be Israel, although the actual spy may have been Jordanian, uh, it turns out. But either way, they're on the other side. They're supporting Syria and Iran in the region. <laughs> and so maybe giving up the Israeli intelligence eh, wasn't such a hot idea. Yeah, I mean – His entire – or a major part of his campaign for office was that his opponent, Hillary Clinton, mishandled classified information. Which is just a big irony, I guess. I mean, that doesn't uh, – the core problem is that he did what he did. Yeah. But it's amazing that he did it in light of the, the constant criticism. Well, the best part about this is that the defense offered essentially by the White House is he doesn't know any better. You can't hold him accountable for this. He, he doesn't know that you're not supposed to just say stuff. Now, immediately after this meeting, the actual ex- experts in the room said, you know – Maybe that wasn't so smart. And so they went immediately to the CIA and NSA explained what had happened, that the president of the United States had just essentially declassified, by dint of saying it, a highly sensitive material that was supposed to stay within the United States intelligence right. community and nowhere else uh, and had to start basically doing damage control. And Trump's defenders have said, well, he's allowed to declassify anything. He's a businessman. He comes in. He's a different perspective. He's an outsider. So how can you explain him to – how do you expect him to know these things? It's legally true that he's allowed to declassify whatever he wants whenever he wants it. It's legally true he could order a thermonuclear first strike on Canada. doesn't mean it's a good idea. Right. Well, okay. I'm glad we were able to – we established that very, very quickly. I'm glad we didn't have to dither around (laughs) Socratically about it. Um, what What has it been like up on the White House this week? What's the mood there. Sean Spicer came out of uh, the last briefing he had, which has been a couple of days ago, the last on-camera briefing, and he did not look happy at all. Uh, understandably so. I mean, it's, <clears throat> people keep saying this is a self-inflicted wound by the president. The president doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe that's the simplest way of looking at this. This isn't miscalculating. Doing He just does stuff without thinking it through, doesn't know what he's supposed to do, doesn't know what he's not supposed to do. And nobody can tell him. And yeah, I mean, people that's... try to tell him, and he gets mad. I mean, he may uh, pretend to accept the advice for a little while, and then he gets mad, and then he lashes out. I mean, he lashed out the entire press staff about how they handled the Comey firing. Well, he don't didn't fire have that, right? That's the simple <laughs> answer. He was, don't fire him. Maybe they wouldn't have to go out there and make up crazy excuses why that happened <laughs> if he hadn't fired him in the first place. So, if he hadn't fired him particularly impulsively in the first place so that people would have known it was going to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as uh, subsequently it turns out that maybe the, the worst thing to do was to fire James Comey because – Because everything followed from there. I yeah. mean everything every, – it, it's, it's, it's the, the – the, what, what playwrights call the point of attack of the whole story. It's nothing, hap- nothing that came after happens if Comey isn't fired. And – the, the the dumbest part of it is is that he was taunting Comey on Twitter about having tapes. It turns out that it's maybe Comey who's done the better job recording their interactions. He's been very coy and cagey. I think that he wants to testify in his own time, um, but it's there's a potential now that that we're going to find out that Donald Trump lied about their entire interaction 
Well, what we what we learned this week is that Comey drafted memos subsequent to probably all of his interactions with Donald Trump, and there is one particular memo in which he explains that Trump asked him directly to stop investigating Michael Flynn's ties to yeah. Russia. So my his favorite- former national security advisor who had already been sacked for having uh, done these bad things. My favorite thing about all this, by the way, Jason Miller, uh, a sometime Trump advisor, aide well, the end, right? Yeah, uh, was on TV or on Twitter rather, and he had, he had talked about how he was complaining that Comey had kept notes. He was like, "Well, it's awfully cute that that Comey now has this diary he can refer to to right. screw over Trump." And I'm like, "Was it lost on you that James Comey is a cop?" <laughs> what do cops do? They show up at the scene of a crime. They start taking notes. They start taking statements. They write down details. Yeah. He's a he's a he was an attorney before for the Southern District yeah. before he was FBI director. Right. I mean, it shouldn't surprise anyone to learn that he kept copious notes right. and made sure that his tracks were well laid and he knew what was said when and how and why. It's, it's astonishing to me. Well. It, it, yeah, I guess. But once again, we go back to Donald Trump. I mean, maybe he didn't appreciate. I mean, I, I'm, I'm honestly getting this from some of his defenders. He didn't appreciate that it's wrong to tell the head of an investigative body to drop the investigation against one of his friends and associates. Explain he, why it's wrong. This what is this is known as obstruction of justice would oh. be the technical phrase here we're looking for, right? Which <laughs> yeah. would actually be what is known as quote a crime unquote. So I, I that's feel, why it's wrong. I mean, I feel like this podcast is something that Donald Trump should be listening to <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that we're not telling a lot of listeners something they don't already know. Yeah. it's just like it's just that this is the world we've been enmeshed in. It's there are simple answers to things. Don't send impulsive tweets. Don't. Fire somebody that's going to lead to a cloud of suspicion. Well, why is the obstruction of justice a particularly interesting crime for Donald Trump to maybe have committed? Well, it's interesting you use the word crime because as as the sitting president, he cannot be indicted. Right. Right. Okay. However, there's this other process uh, in which you can remove a president. Uh, Fans of Bill Clinton know that this thing called impeachment and impeachment and the charge that leads to it is defined by Congress. So if the House decides that something is a high crime or misdemeanor, it is. Yeah. And no one challenges it because of the separation of powers. So at this point, he's got to be hoping that you're not going to get enough Republicans to buy into this idea that what he did was impeachable and move forward with this because it just takes a, a simple majority vote. Republicans on the Hill, I admittedly, what a tough situation for them to be in when they're asked the question, uh, did the president – Commit obstruction of justice, and I heard I was there, and I heard someone saying, "Well, I'm not a lawyer, but actually, you don't need to be a lawyer yeah. if the, we're talking about possibly impeachment. That's just up to you." Well, yeah, exactly. And go back now to 1998, I believe, when when I think Newt Gingrich, who was then Speaker of the House, was asked basically, "Why are you impeaching Bill Clinton?" And his answer was basically, "Because we can." So uh, the bar has been set that this is a political action based on the basically the whim of the leadership of the House at, at any given moment. Uh, Donald Trump is lucky that the leadership right now is Republican, and they would probably stand to lose a lot by impeaching a president of their own party. But there may come a point, depending on what comes out in the coming weeks and months, that they will lose even more if they don't impeach him. And so that is the thing we all got to watch for. What's coming out of when uh, when Michael Flynn has to eventually, eventually uh, answer a subpoena from the FBI because he's decided not to answer one from the Senate Intelligence Committee apparently. Um, stuff's going to come out. Right. And it's not going to be good. So there's a p- impeachment is a political process with the trappings of a judicial one. Exactly. Uh, but it's Republicans still don't like it that the president appears to have been committing crimes, even though he can't, you know, legally be convicted of a crime, can't be indicted for having committed a crime. So there is, the pressure is building big time this week. It's, oh. it's amazing how it's happened. I want to, I want to, I want to ask about something else that's kind of related, but it's knit up alongside all this. You're pretty hip to all of Donald Trump's <laughs> business entanglements. 
the extent to which he has a bunch of investors, a bunch of creditors, his business is mapped all over the place. It's obviously been a rich topic because of potential violence, violations of the emoluments clause. I'm thinking about how we now have spe- special counsel involved. I'm thinking about how we're going to have subpoenas. We're going to have discovery potentially. A lot of people are going to be exploring uh, Donald Trump's comings and goings. Uh, FinCEN might get involved in this investigation. All of this this gigantic universe of, of creditors, debtors, investors. Right. Um, are these folks are these folks lawyering up? Well, uh, I think folks outside of the immediate orbit are definitely thinking about that. People who uh, had something to do with Flynn's dealings with the various Russians he spoke to during the campaign uh, at, in the in the transition period, they probably are now. But one little thing about his various uh, the president's financial interests in in various places around the world that is not related to what the special counsel's charge was sure right so that was the election of 2016 and related things now it's kind of a stretch to say that his business interests and in, say i don't know if he's got a, a condo that he's leased his name to in and I, I don't even know if this is happening is true or not bangkok say i don't see how that would be related but if there is money that has gone from russian banks to companies that have to do with Donald Trump, then yeah, those would be obviously part of it. Well, so just, well, let's briefly establish that the Justice Department uh, surprisingly appointed a special prosecutor uh, to look into... Technically a special counsel. I'm not sure what the difference is, but yeah. Right. They, well, they did the thing that Democrats wanted, and even some Republicans had begun to say they wanted, which was we need uh, a special prosecutor to investigate whatever's going on with uh, Donald Trump and... First, his campaign's potential ties to Russia and then the apparent cover-up uh, or attempt to obstruct that investigation. So that's happening now. And the uh, criticism of that type of thing people remember from Ken Starr is that it can just rove all over the place right. and do whatever it wants. But, that, but he was an independent counsel, right? So he had a lot more latitude than uh, than Robert Mueller, right, who that, was a he, special counsel, and is limited yeah. to the the four corners of that document, which say, you know, as we said, you know, the election and, and related items. So he won't be going out looking for blue dresses and that sure. kind of stuff. Yeah. The Wall Street Journal said that he could become a Javert-like <laughs> uh, uh, abuser of his power and just constantly chasing Donald Trump across France. Yeah, well... Okay. I don't know if Donald Trump wants to go to France. It is a different country, and he doesn't like to go necessarily to those. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. Um, You know, I'm just thinking about how many people are tied to Donald Trump, invested with Donald Trump, solely because of his reputation. So a lot of reputation-based things have been made. His name is on something that's valuable. He's president now. Something's more valuable. Uh, If his reputation diminishes, uh, a lot of people might start calling in their marker. Right. And he could lose a lot of money. Let's yeah. remember here that Donald Trump was not the favorite of the Republican Party establishment, right? I mean, he got a minority of the votes in that primary. He got a plurality, yes, but not a majority of right. votes in that primary process. That's a big deal to remember here because at some point, people, particularly in the House, who've got their own elections coming up, right, next year, are going to say, you know, we never really wanted him anyway. <laughs> and so it's not so bad to bail now uh, and get while the getting's good because otherwise we're all going to go down with him. So uh, Windows, of course, are closing on doing anything legislatively with the Trump administration as well. Oh, right. And, and, and you know, with all this now swirling around, it's not going away anytime soon. And the, the things that they have mapped out, you know, doing tax reform, really? Come on. I mean, at best, they'll get is the tax cut. And and run up the uh, the deficits and debt some more, and that, yeah, that's fine. Uh, they don't believe in that stuff anyway. Uh, but in terms of a big hairy tax reform, where you're actually going to do something about corporate tax rates and then maybe uh, eliminate some of the deductions and, and credits, no way. Well, they're going to put out a first next week. They're putting out a a big complicated budget. But again, that's which the president's it's, it's quote unquote a, yeah. budget, which has never meant anything, probably since the time that Congress insisted on having one, since the ni- early 1970s after Nixon. So uh, I, I, I never really worried too much about that because McConnell said after the the mini budget came out that, well, you know, that's great. Um, we're not going to cut State Department by, you know, 30 percent or whatever right. it was that Donald Trump wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, if you If you had to guess 
where we might end up next week. <laughs> what would you say? Well, the president leaves for uh, for first uh, Saudi Arabia and then Israel and then uh, Rome to visit the Pope and, and then the president prime minister of Italy. So next week, you're all going to have a little bit of downtime perhaps depending on what happens with the special counsel, right. et cetera. I'm going out there to Italy and Belgium and I've been talking to people about what our president may say and they're – more than a little nervous. Some of the advice I got from um, one of the folks from Belgium who's uh, associated with NATO said, what we've learned to do is just listen to Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, right. um, and, and perhaps General McMaster, the, the, the National Security Advisor. Don't read the tweets, basically, was how they get through each day. Don't read the tweets. Just see what's happening on the ground. Ignore the rest. And maybe at some point – we in this country might start to take that advice as well because uh, they've learned that listening to Donald Trump talk about NATO from any given day to the next given day to the next week is is is, is a recipe for madness. So they don't read the tweets. Love it. Yeah. Uh, let's all take a week, just one week. And not read the tweets. And, Psych, uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read. No, if you can, if you're, you know, someone out there listening, do this for me. An experiment. Don't read Donald Trump's tweets. Uh, send me an email a week from today, whatever this day is, and uh, let me know if you feel better or worse psychologically and emotionally uh, for 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 the effort you made. And if you want, I will fill you in gently about what was said. And we'll see how that goes. We might change some lives here today. I think I'm going to do that. Yeah, why not? Arthur, he's a fucking junkie, so that's all there is to that. I love it. He just loves those tweets. <laughs> Trump blocked me, so I don't get his tweets firsthand anyway. <laughs> no worries. Um, SV, thanks for joining uh, us today. It's my pleasure. We look forward to having you back. Uh, we will be right back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. So one of the things we talked about on the show uh, in the cu last couple years of Obama's tenure as president is that in Washington, there was a little bit of burgeoning bipartisan support for some criminal justice reform, some reduction of mandatory minimums, some trimming of the sales of the drug war. Uh, it looked for a couple hot minutes like Republicans and Democrats would be able to come together on things. But nothing really emerged. Nothing really happened. And – now, with Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, in power, he's taking a retrograde approach to the drug war, bringing back all of its wretched excesses. But on the local level, Americans aren't waiting for change from Washington. Uh, this week in Philadelphia, uh, they had a Democratic primary for the district attorney in Philadelphia. It was won by a man named Larry Krasner, who has never, prosec has never prosecuted a case in his life. He's a criminal defense attorney and civil rights attorney, his victory is being hailed by uh, liberals as a major victory for criminal justice reform. Uh, joining Arthur Delaney and I to talk about it uh, from Chicago, we have HuffPost reporter Kim Belware. Kim. Hi, guys. We're so excited to have you today. I'm excited to be here. So uh, this week when Krasner won, it kind of landed on Twitter with a shock wallop. People were very excited, uh, especially in reform communities, especially uh, 
Bernie Sanders types were very excited about it. Liberals are very excited about it. But this has kind of been maybe of a piece uh, of a trend that's been going on all across the country. Uh, what can you t- how can you uh, sort of bring this home to us? So there, I would start by saying, overall, I think a lot of criminal justice reform experts, they do see this as a trend. I did talk to one yesterday, though, who wanted to put in a little footnote of caution, because in in this uh, burgeoning trend, it is still happening in mostly urban cities, you know, pretty, pretty big uh, clusters that are maybe a little more uh, reliably progressive anyway with their voter base. So the really true test will happen when we see some of these prosecutors getting pushed out in a uh, smaller jurisdiction. But overall, there are a lot of people who do feel that it is uh, indicative of something that's really, really um, kind of growing more critical mass. And it started, uh, I would put the beginning of this around March of last year with the Cook County State's Attorney's race, that's here in Chicago, between Anita Alvarez and Kim Fox. Kim Fox was the challenger. She was kind of the fresh reform person. Anita Alvarez was the type of prosecutor that we have seen a lot of come out of the, you know, high crime era of the 80s and 90s, you know, very tough on juvenile prosecution, drug sentencing, mandatory minimums. And um, Alvarez was also very high profile just because of some of the high profile cases, you know, that were coming out of Chicago. But uh, like Laquan McDonald, Laquan McDonald, you know, and and um, I mean, a lot of them. Chicago had a reputation, according to one 60 Minutes report, as the false conviction capital of the world because, you know, there was we have a, a pretty dark history of, of having some decades and decades of false convictions coming out, um, prosecutors having too cozy of a relationship with the police. Um, so now we're starting to see a change. And the grassroots movement behind that really had been taking place for quite a long time before. I mean, I'm talking at least a decade decade before. But now all of the kind of uh, fruits of that labor among uh, progressive activists is really starting to, you know, starting to bear out. And that's also coupled with the fact that crime rates have been lower than they ever have been in history. So people are feeling a little less, um, you know, less of a desire to rely on these really, really tough um, penalties and, and want to look for a smarter and in a lot of ways, more cost effective approach, because this High crime, tough on crime approach has been expensive too. How, how often do uh, local DAs, local prosecutors lose elections? It's not very often. DAs are typically considered some of the safest seats because they typically go unchallenged and voter turnout for these elections are pretty low. So they weren't, they weren't uh, as hard fought ones like um, maybe a, you know, a, a state Senate race or I mean a, a U.S. Senate race um, or a U.S. House of Representatives seat. Um, in general, state, you know, state level elections, the, the seats are always a little bit safer, except for maybe a governor. But DAs in particular had among the safest seats of all uh, local elected office holders. So it's really hard to get rid of a guy. It takes a movement. Yeah. And, and um, you know, because it's hard to get people interested in, in this kind of low, you know, more local level government, which has always been kind of interesting when you consider when it comes to the, you know, the policies that are going to affect your life the most, it really is the local prosecutor whose um, agenda and, and whose practices are going to have the most direct impact on your life. What happens at the federal level obviously shapes policy and, and is significant, but um, that that decision that a prosecutor makes, whether or not to even charge someone with a crime, how intensely to charge them, is something that is much more intensely felt among people who live in that area. Now, s- surveys have shown that people think crime is like way worse than it is uh, <laughs> right. compared to years ago. And maybe that's because of political rhetoric from people like Donald Trump who say, like, your city is a, a literal hell hole. But uh, so, so against that, we've had Black Lives Matter, uh, which has helped really publicize the, the injustice of the, the local uh, prosecutors and, and cops. Uh, do you think that that has been a huge part of this? I know you mentioned that declining crime itself could help explain. How do you disentangle those two things? There was another good example, I think, that where Cook County can kind of stand in for, we you know, what's happening. These uh, prosecutors, they're typically looking over a, a broad jurisdiction that can, uh, that encompasses city and suburbs. And the people in the cities don't always, uh, you know, they're the ones that bear the brunt of the 
overzealous prosecution of the crackdowns. It's the people who maybe live in the suburbs. They want the city that they go and work in and go, you know, see a play in or go eat in to be safe, but they don't have to bear the cost of, you know, any of these, um, any of these practices. So they typically vote for, um, you know, the more tough on crime, the more tough on crime stuff. And because they're not living in the area, they don't, um, they don't necessarily see the negative impact of, of this, because even in some of Chicago's most violent neighborhoods, there are people who um, they don't, you know, they, they want, obviously they want protection, they want justice, but they see the damage that, you know, having a really, really harsh approach is having. So I think that kind of gets at, um, that's not a great answer to your question, but uh, yeah, as far as the perception, I think a lot of it sometimes is just fueled by people who don't actually live here. There are people all over the Chicago suburbs who have a very, very fixed idea of what Chicago is like crime-wise, or even the south side of Chicago is like crime-wise. And even that as an area of the city is really, really diverse and has a lot of, uh, a lot more economic diversity and kind of diversity of uh, like crime levels than, than people typically think because they're never there it sounds like you're saying this is more local than the the black lives matter movement which is perceived i think by most people as something happening all over um yeah i mean i think the black lives matter movement has put the visibility more on what the price of these policies are and uh yeah you know as far as people who maybe look at the movement with skepticism or disagree with it they might just see general disruption in the streets as indicative of you know everything's going everything's going downhill i'm trying to game out the maybe the kind of friction that someone like larry krasner might face uh should he win the general election it seems likely he will and take office um i I noticed that um i'll note that uh earlier this week uh vice news tonight vice Vice News, uh, the HBO show, uh, had a segment on Aramis Ayala, who is uh, Orange County, Florida state attorney. Who I'm not, sh- I'm not sure that uh, I could, I could credit her for being quite this the, the, a reformer on Krasner's level. Um, but she does believe the death penalty system is broken. She has a lot of people down in Orange County who are waiting on expensive appeals. They've been waiting in some cases for decades, and she opted uh, to just simply stop. Uh, putting the death penalty on the table in cases, which she's experienced is now Governor Rick Scott has taken all of her murder cases away, and she's trying to sue to get those murder cases back in her jurisdiction. So it's not uncommon to see friction here. How how would a person like uh, Krasner expect uh, to 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 do his job in, in you know the first few months of his tenure? The the Ayala situation is really interesting, and in, in Krasner's case, you know he's. Uh, he's elected by, you know, the local voters and he's going to be responsive to what they want. And, and based on the, um, at least election results we saw in the primary, they wanted the most progressive, what they felt was the most progressive candidate. And since he's favored to win in the general election, um, you can kind of take that almost as a, you know, a mandate for how he is going to approach his office. So, I mean, some of the friction, I, I can only speculate, you know, that might come further down the road if he isn't getting perhaps the results that people sure you know people but think I just think about have. how cops and prosecutors kind of work hand in glove almost I mean I wonder what a fraternal, fraternal order of police chapter uh, would, would say to these kind of people coming to coming to power Ooh, this is a tough one well you know one of the things we, we see this I again have to go back to Cook County because that's the one that I understand the best um, but you know in some cases I think the impact it could have is actually improving the police because the prosecutor who is not going to jump to prosecute every single case, they're going to demand better evidence. They're going to demand better investigations. And cops can't bring them these weak cases that are eventually going to get overturned or cause lawsuits. And there, you know, there's always going to be some uh, complaints from the people who are, are doing their job if they're being asked to now produce more, you know, bring in more evidence, be a little more airtight in things. Um, so there could be tension that at least from police officers, they might feel that a uh, um, progressive prosecutor is maybe making their life more difficult. Um, but as long as they feel supported and they're, and they're still um, putting away the people that need to be put away and, and finding kind of smart approaches uh, to, you know, to dealing with crime and, and dealing with 
rehabilitation, then they're, I, I think they're going to have some, some good support. And it's also worth noting that there are, um, there are police officers and there are sheriffs uh, who, who do see some of those tough on crime policies as, as not being that effective either. You know, again, we sure. have this in Cook County where the, the sheriff is sometimes trying to take, um, instead of a high use of solitary and, you know, harsh punishment approach, they're going to do things to kind of keep them, you know, keep them busy, keep them engaged, um, teach them skills, because at least, we you know, when it comes to county jails and things like that, all of these people are getting out anyway, eventually, and they're going to come back to the community. Um, since you brought up the Ayala case in Florida, that one is is pretty interesting. It's kind of a reverse of what we saw with um, yeah. Krasner's predecessor, with um, you know, with, with the DA who you know he's taking over for. There is um, with Seth Williams, the governor actually said he he was doing the same thing that Ayala did as a prosecutor, saying, "I think the death penalty system in our state is broken. I'm not gonna." Um, you know, instead of prosecuting, the governor said he's not going to sign any death warrants. And the current Philly DA sued him over that. So um, that, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in Ayala's case, she's saying that she's also carrying out the will of what the local electorate wants, which is that they that's true aren't, aren't feeling strongly. They're not feeling confident about a system that is in Florida proven to be error prone and, again, really expensive. You, you just one last question. You started the the segment talking a little bit about caution, noting that a lot of these trends are happening in urban centers and progressive communities. Is there a canary in a coal mine sort of situation where we know that we've reached a different kind of tipping point, a race out there that maybe you see a trend like this developing that's a bit off the map right now that we're not focused on, or can you speculate about what type of uh, election might? Uh, demonstrate a furtherance of this this whole trend. I, I posed this exact same question to uh, a Northwestern law professor the other day, and she said it was uh, it was kind of tough to tell. I thought it was pretty striking um, in Caddo Parish, Louisiana, which includes Shreveport. That's uh, one of the areas in the country that has the highest rate of returning death sentences, particularly for um, black defendants and. Uh, they they did get rid of their acting district attorney. He pulled out of the race, and that you know you'd have to talk to locals if that's really an indication of he he kind of sensed the changing tides, or if he was just getting ready to retire. But uh, there, you know, there's a new shift. There's a new shift coming. There's a more progressive guy taking that office, and uh, the one that I think is the favorite of some is uh, in Corpus Christi, Texas, um, yeah. from from last year. Uh, there was a you know tattooed uh you know this this tattooed guy mark skirka he was a district attorney um or he's the district attorney now i'm sorry mark skirka was the guy that got voted out and um this defense lawyer uh who you know is kind of the same mold as krasner this you know tattooed guy is running against him he wins and you know in in corpus christi it's a you know that that's an area of the country where they've been pretty uh, strong about their, you know, their use of the death penalty, their, you know, reliance on kind of these tough crime procedures. And even then in uh, Nueces County, they they voted for a guy who was completely different from what they'd had before. All right. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on this uh, story. And thanks for thanks for doing so much work on it. I really appreciate it. Kim, this is Kim Bellware. You can follow her. Uh, what's your Twitter account, Kim? It's Bellwack, B-E-L-L-W-A-K. All right, cool. Thank you so much for joining us, Kim. This is great. Happy Thanks, Police guys. Week. <laughs> great talking to you. And we will be right back. And we are back. Uh, Arthur Delaney still riding high hey. in the saddle. Hi. And uh, we are joined right now by Marina Fang, HuffPost reporter Marina Fang. Hello. Um, so we talked we talked earlier on the podcast about kind of the nutty week that Trump has had and the broad strokes of that. But I want to try to imagine the life of the people who actually signed up to be a part of this administration. I don't want to spend a lot of time pitying them because they did volunteer to be in America's first ever cacistocracy. Okay. 
So this is not that's a made up word. It's not a made up word. For what it's worth, it uh, means all right. Move on. It means government stock. Oh, government yeah. by the worst uh, people. Oh, all right. <laughs> made up word. Next. But their life is pretty crazy right now. The big like we spent a lot of time last week joking about how Sean Spicer was hiding among the bushes, and we have to be specific yes, about that. Among. among, not in the bushes. Among. Yes, and of course, this White House is like in constant. Chaos. The news this week is that Sean Spicer may be um, dunzo giving regular briefings. Well, they're having a, there's a shortage of people who are willing to put their faces in front of the Trump administration. Marina, you right. reported this week on. Yeah, on there's been that. a lot of, um, for example, um, CBS this morning said that they had contacted, I believe, 20 Republican senators and representatives, as well as White House staffers, to, sh- to come on the show to attempt to defend Trump or at least comment on Trump somehow. And um, Charlie Rose said all of them declined the invitation. And even Fox News has had trouble getting people to come on the show. I believe uh, Kellyanne Conway, you know, the usual go-to Trump surrogate, uh, canceled, very abruptly canceled an appearance on Tucker Carlson's show um, the friendliest place you yeah, could possibly go. Even yes, that that's the I think that's that's a really telling sign that things are really going down the toilet because even on Trump friendly Fox News, they're having trouble getting Trump surrogates who regularly appear on the network to even, come and Even the Trump. person who coined the term alternative yes. facts would not go on a show <laughs> where she would not even have to really defend the Trump administration. Even the person who claimed that microwaves have cameras. <laughs> she can't even show up on Fox News anymore. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I've heard just some absurd things out of this White House over the past couple of weeks. There was a quote last week about uh, one White House insider assessed the situation as uh, chaotic even for our standards. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a huge screaming match this week among the communications team after news broke that uh, that the, the news about Donald Trump burning an intelligence source broke. Right. Um, I think it was it was Adrian Carasquillo from the BuzzFeed's White House correspondent talked about how he heard yelling coming from the and room. Then they and they turned up the volume on the TV to try to conceal the screaming, which which, which only I made think, it worse. I think <laughs> I think it's big news because it yeah. demonstrates that the White House does have. At least one protocol in place that they're able to carry out, which is like if there's ever a shouting match, turn up the TVs. They're successfully pulling that off. Um, what's interesting is that uh, there's been a lot of talk about Trump's problems being fully communications based. He's not getting his message out. Uh, Sean Spicer is suddenly a fall guy in all this, a patsy. Um, we uh, the, the um, there's been just this constant like drumbeat that what the problem is is that. The problem Trump was having is that he's not marketing himself well. You know, he's not right. speaking the language of Washington, which is how uh, how a Politico playbook put it right now. Right. It's like, Trump's problem is that he's not speaking D.C. language. You know, he's he hasn't figured out a way to sort of like meld with the collective here in Washington, become a part of the Borg. And from my perspective, I don't think that it's a failure to communicate that anyone's having. I think that he's just a blithering, insecure idiot and there's no there's no communication staff in the world that can that can possibly fill in these gaps i mean i just described a situation in which people in the white house had to prepare gird themselves build a fortification against trump's forthcoming tweets yes you know what you're supposed to do in that situation you're supposed to say you know what don't tweet about this don't tweet about this. There shouldn't be this like, oh, God, we're going to get so blindsided by what our boss is going to say tomorrow. You're supposed to intercede, intervene, do something that says, no, don't do this stupid right. shit anymore. And he actually went for probably about at least 24 hours without tweeting. But then Thursday morning, sure enough, he started tweeting. And you would think like someone would say, hey, maybe don't tweet. There's a lot going on. We need to figure he, out our message. But but well, no. You would, well, 
you wouldn't think someone would need to say that. You would think it would be obvious not to write really weird, self-pitying That's tweets if you're also the president true. of the United States. Not just self-pitying yeah. tweets. He tweeted that he had taped James Comey, which immediately was just yeah. like, well, give us the tapes then. Right. Subpoena that shit. It's, it, he just can't, he can't help himself, and someone else has to step in and help him. There's talk of a forthcoming staff shakeup. Who on earth would want to work for this administration? Our own colleague Sharish Date reported this week that um, that basically no one wants to work. So there have been hundreds of unfilled posts in the State Department and the Defense Department, and no one wants these posts right now because they don't want to go work for a chaotic White House. Uh, I mean, it was an interesting question at the outside of the administration where you had uh, Republican muckety-mucks, lobbyists, and people who'd worked for past administrations faced with this decision. Or we know Donald Trump is, uh, you know, a demagogue and sort of an idiot. But what are we going to do? I mean, do you want to just let someone else take this job that no matter what does need to be filled by somebody? Just let the less talented people get it. And all the people who took that bargain said, you know, I'll, I'll do this for my country – have uh, are looking like fools because Trump has been such a black hole of chaos that they're not even able to do those jobs. That's how bad the president himself has made it for the people working for him. Uh, and and I think a, a lot of people outside saw this coming. Like you you're you, you don't need to you can just not do this. Let somebody else who's worse do it. You're, that person won't be able to do the job anyway. I mean, I suppose, but people who are like the worst at what they do can do real harm in some of these agencies and institutions. You know, there is an argument for people to stay if only to leak to the press or write a book about what their experience was after the fact. Well, I think that's what is happening through the people who are left over from the Obama administration and and the career of civil servants. But at least in the case of the press office, uh, there's just been no point for anybody to bother because Trump himself is uh, in total control of the message and anything you say will just be destroyed by him because he'll say whatever he wants, no right. matter how I mean, dumb it is. Day after day, we've seen administration says X, Trump says Y on Twitter. Yeah, so it's totally I mean, obliterating whatever defense they've tried to provide. He's for watching it on TV anyway. He really should get rid of Sean Spacer and just himself do it because it'll uh, it'll cut out. We'll the waste man. a lot less time. That's yeah, true. Just cut out yeah. the middleman. Just let him, because you're not doing anything else anyway. Go ahead and stand there and make a fool of yourself directly instead of uh, sacrificing person after person's integrity. Although maybe maybe there is something valuable in exposing these people who were foolish enough to think that they could uh, advance their careers through this horrible demagogue person who doesn't know anything or care about anything. Yeah, it is. It, it, it. It's just it is absurd. You're, you know, the point you just made, Maria, is really, really apt because the White House has endeavored to erect defenses over the over the course of this administration. Yes, you know this tra- this 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 immigration thing we're doing. It's not a ban at all. And Trump's like, it's a ban. It's a ban. By the way, it's a ban. Uh, James Comey was not fired because of the Russia investigation. He was fired for reason X, reason Y. Trump goes on with Lester Holt and says, yeah, it was the Russia. It was Russia stuff. Right. I'm doing that. You know, the White House says everything Trump – Trump did not leak any classified information. Trump was like, yeah, I did that. I did that. I wanted to. I'm allowed to. I'm the president. It just never, ever, ever seems to end with this guy. Um, you know, this more the Thursday morning um, – the self-pitying tweet we referenced, he talked about how he was subject to the worst political witch hunt in history, I believe, is what he, yes. he tweeted. And the yes. previous day, he'd said he'd been treated worse than anybody or, or something in to that effect. One of the most absurd graduation speeches ever. <laughs> yeah, I wrote about that. That's what he's, that was the, his um, message to the cadets. Um, the, the witch hunt thing is really kind of funny to me because, uh, once again, you know, he, respond, he, responded, he responded this way because of the decision – uh, of the Justice Department to have an independent special counsel. Um, Mueller, the ex-FBI. Mueller. Mueller. Sorry, not Mueller. Mueller, the ex-FBI uh, head, uh, to look into the Russia stuff. It was pretty clear overnight that some of his allies, like at Breitbart, were spinning this as uh, this is Trump's idea. Trump, this is this is what Trump wanted. Uh, the special counsel put it to bed 
blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh, you know, that's a message that maybe could, you know, convince uh, his fans that, that, that this is true. But Trump blew it up by with his with his self-pitying witch hunt thing. Yeah. That narrative lasted all but what, 12 hours? Oh, you know, this, this is the first I've heard of it. I didn't know that that narrative even existed. Yeah, it was I, was, very I brief. was asleep. Yeah, it was, yeah. Very, so it was, was I, ever but... so brief. Yeah. It was ever so brief. Um, And yeah, by the way, actual witches were hunted. Yes. For political reasons. Now, uh, Jason, there weren't witches. Actual women, actual women were, were accused were, of being witches. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. You know, the actual witches got away with it, right? Yes. The actual witches were like, ah, oh, I feel bad for these women getting dinged up for spell casting. Yeah, they rode their brooms to Hogwarts <laughs> yeah, where they exactly. have tenure. It braces the question, are we going to like put Donald Trump in a dunk tank? Will he float? I don't think he can swim. <laughs> I don't know. You know, that's another thing I just have to say about witch hunts is that, you know, the, the old story is that they would burn a woman or drown a woman knowing that if they died, they weren't a witch. What was plan B? If it turned out they were a witch, you can't burn me or drown me. Like, I would be pretty frightened about that prospect. You know, I think that witch hunts in general are poorly thought through. But, but yes, Donald Trump has been – it was a real weird tangent, wasn't it? Yeah, I Ever? have no opinion on witch hunts at the moment, but – I, I would, I would, I would stop them if I could. Yes, that. Yes. Um, I don't necessarily think this is a witch hunt. I mean, witches are getting are more and more getting recognized for the great work that they're doing. <laughs> they truly are. All right. Um, well, it's gonna be, it's gonna be an interesting process. Uh, no one knows when this is end is gonna end, and and I worry that there's gonna be, uh, either people jumping ship and leaving gaps or. People jumping ship and it being filled with, I guess, dude, the ship, is, the ship itself is sinking. So <laughs> you know, worry about that. Literal, literal mobsters. Uh, I don't know what could happen, but uh, don't pity these people. But appreciate the fact that maybe, maybe their lives aren't that great by comparison to yours. Weird. I don't know. That's so weird. Yeah, that's gonna appreciate that. All right, let's get out of here. Yeah, let's just get out. You cut that ending. <laughs> no, leave it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We'll, we'll be right back. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week we were joined by HuffPost reporters Kim Belware, Arthur Delaney, SV Date, and Marina Fang. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. Please check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send us an email at so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening. We miss you already. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.